0: Well, I want to join Joe in um, wishing you a happy new year of welcoming you to this new year, to 2022. I'm one of those guys that I love the new year. I love a new school year. I, I, I love a new calendar year. Anything that allows us to pause and to, if you will, hit refresh on our lives, to think about our lives and to begin to make plans for making progress in the future, that excites me. So let me ask you a question. Have you made any New Year's resolution this year? I asked that question at breakfast yesterday as my family and some others were gathered around the table and a few of my kids um, spoke up and uh, contributed what they were thinking about. And then my son, brought up something that was important to him. That was his favorite comic strip, Calvin and Hobbes. He referenced um, one of Bill Watterson's many uh, comic strips on New Year's. This is the one he had in mind. It begins with Hobbes asking Calvin a really simple question at this time of the year. Are you making any resolutions for the new year? Calvin responded with indignation. Resolutions? Me? Just what are you implying? That I need to change? Well, buddy, as far as I'm concerned, I'm perfect just the way that I am. Classic Calvin. Here's another one that I found um on the internet uh, yesterday afternoon. Again, Hobbes opens in the same way by asking Calvin, are you making any resolutions for the new year? And Calvin says, yeah, I'm resolving to just wing it and see what happens. (laughs) Quite comic, I, I, I love Calvin and Hobbes, but I have to admit that neither of Calvin's responses, the first one where he said he's perfect, or the second one where he said he was going to just wing it, are quite in line with God's desires for you, Um, not quite in line with the Bible's teaching. The Bible says that we are far from perfect, that we need change in our lives, and that the change that we need in our lives will not come through simply winging it. It will require some level of intentionality. Let me give a verse for you to think about as you think about the new year. First Thessalonians, I'm gonna be listing a number of verses today. So you may you don't need to look them up, but you may wanna just jot them down and you can go back and reference them throughout the week. The first one, a foundational one, is 1 Thessalonians 4. First Thessalonians 4.3, where Paul says this, This is the will of God. Have you ever wanted to know what the will of God is? This is it. Your sanctification. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. The New Testament repeatedly reminds us that when God sent forth His Son to save His people from their sin, that He did so with a goal in mind. He had a purpose in all of that. Titus 2.14 says this, Christ gave Himself for us to redeem us. So that's God's work in Christ to save us. And to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Some of the most popular verses in our Bible as evangelicals are Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. Many of you can probably quote them from memory. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God so that no one should boast. But we often leave out the next verse, which goes with verses 8 and 9, what does verse 10 say? He says, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. One more verse, First Peter 2, 24, puts it this way. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that, here comes the purpose in that, we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Did you know that God had a goal in mind when He sent Jesus to save you from your sin? Did you know that His will is your sanctification? And that involves doing good works, dying to sin, living to righteousness, this is part of the picture of what God wants for your lives. We are not perfect. We are in desperate need of God's transforming grace in our lives. Another way that you could say it is that God sent His Son to save us so that we might increasingly be conformed into the image of God, into the image specifically of His Son. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 2 Corinthians 3.18, where Paul says that we all beholding the glory of the Lord, which is another way of saying looking at Jesus We all beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. I hope this is clear enough to let you see that there is a goal that God has for your life. You don't have to come up with one. God has already laid it out very clearly in Scripture. He wants you to be like Jesus. To increasingly reflect Him. That you would be sanctified. And so with that in mind, may I challenge you? Encourage you? To make a resolution this year, even if you're the type of person that's not really into making resolutions? to grow in your sanctification, to grow into the image of Jesus. This is God's will for your life. But how can you make progress in becoming more like Jesus this year? Well, thankfully, God has done more than simply give us a vision of what He wants our life to look like. He has also given us intentional means to realize this vision or to make progress toward it. The reformers called these intentional means the means of grace. Our mission statement, I know a number of you have it memorized, but in case you've forgotten it, let me just say it again. It says this, We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who glorify God. As the grace of the gospel grows deep in God's people and goes wide to all peoples. People, as as a lead pastor, people ask me sometimes, what's your vision for the church? Let me tell you what my vision is. It's the vision that we're given in the Bible of disciples of Jesus Christ. Who are increasingly reflecting the image of Jesus Christ and therefore glorifying God. That's our goal. That's our goal. That's the end for which we are aiming all of our efforts. But what is the means? The grace of the gospel, growing deep in God's people and going wide to all peoples. During Missions Month, each summer, We talk quite a lot about how the grace of the gospel goes wide to all peoples. But how does it grow deep in God's people here at First Free? We're going to spend this month answering that question, talking about how we can grow as the gospel is at work in our lives. To talk specifically about ways that we can be rooted in God's Grace, so that we can grow as disciples of God's Son. We're going to talk about pursuing the means of grace together. But what are the means of grace? What did the Reformers have in mind when they talked about the means of grace? I thought the Westminster um, Larger Catechism may be a good place to start in giving us a definition of the means of grace. This is what... The answer to question 154 says, the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to his church, the benefits of his mediation are all his ordinances, especially the word sacraments and prayer. Notice the catechism acknowledges that there are many ways that people grow as disciples of Jesus all of his ordinances, everything that the Bible says about growth, faith and prayer, all, all sorts of things, but especially the word, prayer, and the sacraments or what we call the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. These are primary in our sanctification. J.C. Ryle, so we've got, the 17th century articulation of the means of grace in the Westminster larger confession. J.C. Ryle is a 19th century pastor from England, and he has had a profound impact on the way that I think about sanctification. In fact, if you'd like a new book for the new year, his little book, Holiness, it's just over a hundred pages. I could not commend it to you um, more highly. This is what he says. About the means of grace and sanctification. Sanctification is a thing that depends upon means. And when I speak of means, I have in view Bible reading, private prayer, regular attendance on public worship, regular hearing of the Word of God, and regular reception of the Lord's Supper. Or consider a 21st century example. Here's what the book Evangelical Convictions, which is a commentary on our own denomination's statement of faith says. This comes in a section speaking of baptism in the Lord's Supper. Like preaching of the word, corporate worship, prayer, and our fellowship with other Christians, these ordinances are means God uses to strengthen us in our faith. What I'm wanting you to see through these quotes is that there has been consistency since the Reformation in the way that the church sees the means of grace. The primary, ordinary ways that God has delighted to work in our lives. Sanctification, let me be very clear on this. I hope I'm very clear on this throughout the sermon, but I just want to say it right up front. Sanctification is a work of the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit is not at work in your life, you will not grow. And yet, the Spirit uses means set out in the Spirit-inspired Word of God. We don't have to go searching for methodologies outside of the Word of God. He has ordained means by which He delights and chooses to work in us that which is pleasing to Him in His sight. So, may I encourage you, may I challenge you to resolve, to grow in sanctification this year. But let me add one more thing. May I challenge you to resolve to use God's ordinary means as the method, the primary way that you will seek God's Spirit empowered transformation within your life. To help us to see what this looks like, to pursue the means of grace together, I've selected Psalm one. So if you would please open in your Bible to Psalm chapter one. Psalm one, some of you maybe read this yesterday in the first day of your new Bible reading plan which I hope you all have if, if you would like uh, to know more about that we'll talk some about it next week or I'd be happy to give you suggestions if you'd like to email me but Psalm 1 sets out two ways to live the way of the wise and the way of the fool or the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked the way of the blessed man or the way of the man who is under God's judgment or God's curse. But there's also a sense in which this chapter, as I'm going to argue, provides a compelling picture of the process of sanctification. It gives us a metaphor. And this metaphor is what I hope sticks with you today. A metaphor for how to flourish in the Christian life. And I hope that this image, this metaphor will be indelibly impressed upon your hearts and your minds as instruction, but also motivation for pursuing sanctification. So with all of that long introduction, would you now please stand for the reading of God's word? Blessed but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to go out on a limb this morning. I've preached on this psalm two or three other times. You're welcome to look at um, some of those sermons, to see a more detailed look. This Psalm is really wisdom literature. It's laying out two ways to live. But as I've continued to meditate on it, I read it every month, I think about it. I think it also, along with Psalm 2, teaches us two doctrines about our sanctification. I think that it indirectly looks to the doctrine of justification as well as to the doctrine of sanctification. Let's begin by seeing what verses 1 and 2 and to some degree verses 5 and 6 say about justification. Here's my first point. Christ is our perfect righteousness. Now you may be thinking, this is the Old Testament. We're not in the New Testament. Where are you getting that? Let me try to explain what I think is going on in Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 as well. There is a sense in which this psalm, as wisdom literature, is presenting to us the picture of any blessed person. Anyone who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Anyone who doesn't stand with sinners. Anyone who does not sit in the seat of Of scoffers. It is describing anyone who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on that law day and night. It is this picture for anybody to embrace. And yet, nobody has ever lived according to the vision that is laid out in verses 1 and 2, except for Jesus. He is the only one who has never walked in the counsel of the wicked, stood in the seat of scoffers or sat down or and stood with sinners or sat down in the seat of scoffers. He is the only one who is perfectly delighted to do everything within God's word and to walk in God's way. The bad news is that in our sin, anybody who doesn't live up to the picture presented in Psalm 1 is under God's judgment, not his blessing. But if we are in Christ, we can come to know the blessing of God that is found in him. Why do I say that? Textually, why do I say that? We know that's true theologically, but where do I get that from this text? I see that there's an intimate connection between Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Almost all scholars see that. There's all kinds of connective words and ideas and even structure in these psalms. And so what I want to put forward is that the blessed man, and I'm following many other people, in Psalm 1 is the same Son of God in Psalm 2 Verse 7, the king that God placed on his holy hill, he says, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And so the only way that we can experience the blessing that belongs to Christ to the man who walked in the right way is through being in Christ. Notice there's a connection between verse 1 of chapter 1, blessed is the man, and the end of the chapter, chapter 2, verse 12. Look at what it says. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So how do we experience the blessing of Psalm 1? It's only... Through finding refuge in the Son of God. None of us live a righteous life free from sin. Therefore, we all deserve God's wrath, not His blessing. But Christ has. The Son of God has. And He doesn't stop at living the perfect life of righteousness. He goes on to fulfill the law by offering His life as a perfect sacrifice for our sin. So if we look to Christ, if we kiss the Son... That's kind of a strange phrase. What does that mean? It would be like kissing the hand of a king. It's another way of saying, bowing the knee to Christ. And if we take refuge in Him in His perfect righteousness and in His perfect sacrifice, then we can experience the blessing that is found in Him, as Ephesians 1 talks about. If we repent and believe in Him, we are justified declared right in the eyes of God and receive all of the spiritual blessings that are in the heavenly places in Christ. As verse 5 says, the wicked won't stand in the judgment. They will perish. But those who are in Christ, those who belong to the congregation of the righteous, they will stand. They will be blessed. So that's a foundational truth. The only way we can truly know God's blessing is through what Christ has done, not through what we have done. That's the major theological portion of my sermon. But let me say this. If we have found refuge in the Son, it only makes sense that we would strive to walk in the footsteps of the Son. If we are in the Son it only makes sense that we would be transformed into the image of the Son. And if He wouldn't walk in the way of sinners, then we shouldn't want to walk in the way of sinners. If He delighted in the law of God and meditated upon it day and night, chewed upon it, then we should desire the same. And that leads me to the second and main point of my sermon about sanctification. It is this, if we have been justified, we should strive to be sanctified. If we have received righteousness from Christ as a gift, we should desire to walk in righteousness. Or as our statement of faith says, the justifying grace of God should not be separated from His sanctifying power and purpose. Or maybe you would prefer Martin Luther. He said we are saved by faith alone. But saving faith is never alone. It will always be accompanied by works. Or maybe you would like to hear from the Bible. James says, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. If we have been justified by God's grace, we ought to pursue sanctification by God's grace as well. How do we do that? This brings me to the center of Psalm 1 in verse 3. This is the verse that I've been praying will captivate your imagination in the coming year. This is what it says again. The blessed man He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that He does, He prospers. That's the vision. That's the vision that we need. A vision of a tree that is planted by streams of water. That's what I want to be impressed in your mind's eye as you approach this new year. But as you imagine this picture, we need to make sure that the eyes of our mind are seeing what this verse is saying. So let me ask you, what comes to mind? As I say, the blessed man is like a tree that is planted by streams of water. What image comes to your mind? Is the image of a creek or maybe a river in the countryside where there are trees next to it that are flourishing? That's not the picture of this psalm. The streams of water that are spoken of in verse 3, I hate to disappoint, but they are quite literally irrigation canals. Irrigation canals that men with a shovel have dug out to be able to route the natural water from some other source into the orchard so that the trees can have the water that they need to flourish. This is not some spontaneous growth that just happens in nature. The picture here is a picture of intentionality and of hard work. Blessed by God that produces fruit and good results. Getting the picture of verse 3 right in our minds is essential to understanding the way sanctification works. Justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There's nothing you contribute to your justification. Luther said the only thing you contribute is your sin. There's nothing you contribute to your justification. Grace alone. Faith alone. Christ alone. But some of us have come to think that that's the way sanctification works as well. But that's simply not true. Sanctification does require the grace of God. I want to hammer that home. It involves faith. It involves the work of Christ, but not grace, faith, Christ alone. Sanctification requires the grace of God and the effort of man. Where do I get this? To quote J.C. Ryle again, Who's quoting the Apostle Paul? He says this The very same Apostle who says in one place, The life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, says in another place, I fight, I run, I keep under my body, or keep my body under control. And in other places, says, let us cleanse ourselves. Let us labor. Let us lay aside every weight. These are all commands that are given to us as believers. Think of Second Peter, uh, the whole book, beginning in chapter 1, ending in chapter 3. What does Peter say to us? Make every effort. It's one of the main verbs in that letter. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, with godliness, with brotherly affection. He says at the end of the book, Be diligent to be found by the Lord without spot or blemish. And then he ends his letter with a command. This is wild. He says, Grow in grace a command to us to grow, but to grow in grace. That's the picture of the tree planted by the irrigation canals in Psalm 1. The blessed man, the flourishing disciple of the Son of God, planted intentionally next to the streams where the grace of God works. Every farmer knows this tension, this truth. They can't make their crops grow. There are always things that are completely outside of the control of a farmer. As so I talk to my grandma and talk about the many years that the family farm just tanked, I'm very much reminded of this truth. The crops are dependent upon God supplying what is needed for them to flourish. And yet at the same time, every farmer knows that without planting, fertilizing, cultivating, watering, there will be no harvest. You can't just wing it and see what happens. The same is true for sanctification. I know some of you are thinking, I'm preaching works righteousness here. I'm not. This is the repeated testimony of the scriptures. We are justified by grace alone, only the work of God. But sanctification requires both God's grace and work in our lives, as well as our own diligence in our lives. We need to get in the way of grace so that God can use the means that He has ordained in His Word to do His work in our lives. The streams of water in Psalm 1-3 are most likely speaking metaphorically of God's law, of His Word, but I think it's fair to apply these streams to all of the means of grace. After all, the means of prayer, the means of Baptism and the Lord's Supper, they're prescribed in God's Word. The point is, we must plant ourselves. Some would actually translate the word plant as transplant. Get out of the arid soil that you're in and plant yourself in the irrigated soil where you can have a chance for God to do His work. In your life. Can I quote J.C. Ryle one more time? Hopefully, I'm whetting your appetite, not boring you to death. I lay it down as a simple matter of fact that no one who is careless about such things, the means of grace, must ever expect to make much progress in sanctification. I can find no record of any eminent saint who ever neglected them. They are appointed. Channels through which the Holy Spirit conveys fresh supplies of grace to the soul and strengthens the work that He began in the inward man. Channels of grace. Irrigation canals. Streams of water. It's not that God can't work through other means, but the Word and prayer and the ordinances are the ordinary and the regular ways that God works. Just to drive the point I'm trying to make home with one more passage from Scripture. Philippians two twelve to 13 I think is so important in understanding this tension. Paul says that God is the one who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. But at the beginning of that, he commands the church to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Sanctification involves both the grace of God and intentional effort on our part of putting ourselves in the way of the grace of God. I know I've been quote heavy. The challenge is on these topical sermons I read and I read and I read, and then I wanna share what I've read. So one more quote um, from a contemporary book, maybe one that would be helpful to you, called Habits of Grace by David Mathis. I love the illustration he puts forward. He says, I can flip a switch, but I don't provide the electricity. I can turn on a faucet, but I don't make the water flow. There will be no light and no liquid refreshment without someone else providing it. And so it is for the Christian with the ongoing grace of God. His grace is essential for our spiritual lives and we don't control the supply. We can't make the favor of God flow, but He has given us circuits to connect and pipes to open expectantly. There are paths along which he has promised His favor. For to return to the simple metaphor of Psalm 1, if you want to grow, plant yourself beside the waters that flow. Pursue the means of grace. Let your roots grow deep as you immerse yourself in the Word, in prayer, as you prepare yourselves month in and month out to receive the Lord's Supper it's through these means these ordinary means simple means not complicated structures and programs that God has delighted and designed you to grow in sanctification and the likeness of Christ It's through these means that as verse 3 says, you will yield fruit in season. That you will not wither. And that in all that you do, you will prosper. Would you like to have that type of fruitfulness in your life in the coming year? When it comes to New Year's resolutions, many people are focused on weight loss or getting out of debt or breaking bad habits, all of which are fine, all of which are on my list as well. But what about prioritizing God's express will for your life, your sanctification? What about prioritizing growth in Christlikeness? But don't stop there. Many New Year's resolutions are really not resolutions at all. They're certainly not goals. They're really more like wishful thinking because people don't actually lay out a plan for how to get from point A to point B. What's the plan? God has given it to us in His Word. We don't have to come up with it. He has given us a plan To make progress, He has given us the means of grace. So, would you like to bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, in the new year? Would you like to not wither? Or maybe let me put it more pointedly those of you who are here who are backsliding, and you have been for some time, would you like to stop shriveling up? Would you like to grow? Would you like to prosper or to put it in different language? Would you like to experience the abundant life that Christ came to give to you? Give yourself to the means of grace. It's not a guarantee that it's going to work in the timing and in the way that you expect, but I will guarantee you that if you don't put yourself in the way of the means of grace, you will not grow. Abdel Gonzalez regularly texts me messages in Spanish. I don't know Spanish. And so he only sends me phrases that everybody knows. Most recently, Feliz Navidad. You know how the song goes. Feliz Navidad. And then this next line is what I want to focus on. Prospero año felicidad. The the Spanish is better. Do you want To experience a prospero año, a prosperous year of the abundant life that can be yours in Christ? Do you want to experience felicity, which is another word of talking about happiness or blessing? Not worldly blessing, not worldly happiness, but the blessing and happiness that comes from being in Christ. I hope you want that. If you do, let us resolve to plant ourselves right by the streams of grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the grace that you have poured out on us so freely in Christ. Granting the gift of faith to so many here, the gift of repentance. That we sinners could be declared righteous in your sight through the work of Christ. Thank You. Would You now open the faucet of Your grace and pour it out on this congregation that we might increasingly be transformed into the image of Your Son. That we would give ourselves to the means that You have given to us for these ends. Embolden and empower Your work in our lives. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.